Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, July 17th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. This has been an unusual week that has just passed for me for a couple of reasons. The first is, is that I actually missed two podcasts, Monday and then again Friday. But Friday's miss was a, an interesting experience, and I want to share it with you because it's an important and integral part of what I want to talk about in today's podcast. I actually recorded my whole podcast for Friday. I'm on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I edited the podcast, and I posted the podcast. But immediately after posting it, I did something I rarely do, which is I began to listen to it once fully online. And the minute I accessed it and the intro ended, I realized that somehow in the editing process, I had cut off the first maybe minute or less of the podcast, and it made no sense, therefore. It went from the pre-recorded intro to me talking in the middle of a sentence. So I quickly took it offline, deleted the episode, and It was late on Friday at that point and couldn't record another podcast, so I let it go. And the next day, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually yesterday, Saturday, I was talking to a friend of mine. She's very insightful and very intuitive and very spiritually evolved. And she said, it happened because it was premature. The episode was premature. And the moment she said it, I knew that was true. Because I did that episode under a great deal of pressure to get it up online because of what had happened earlier in the week, which I will now share with you, which is, in a sense, the basis for this podcast. Earlier in the week, this friend of mine, who I just referenced, reached out to me to say that her housemate, not someone with whom she was romantically involved, but someone with whom she shared a home in New Mexico, committed suicide. He was in his 30s. And he was in a highly established, highly artistic, well-known young man. And when his fiance went out to get some food to bring back for the house, in that interim, he shot himself. She found him upon her return, and she called down my friend who lived in the upper two stories of the home, and they both dealt with the tragedy and immediately, obviously, called the police. And so over the next 48 hours from a distance, because I'm in Texas and my dear friend is in New Mexico, I did everything I could in multiple phone calls, both from me to her and her back to me, to support her through her grief, her loss, and her need to interact with both the fiancé and the family and all of the friends that this young man had had in the New Mexico area and beyond. And it was a real lesson in grief and a real lesson in joy. And I say that because throughout those 48 to 72 hours, while there were incredibly painful moments for her, there were also moments between us of great levity. 
And in a way, it's, I think, what happens to doctors in operating rooms. They call it operating room humor, where things that are otherwise seemingly gruesome or inappropriate become funny. And it's the way you deal with extreme grief or extreme stress. It's the way you get through it. Because the flip side of intense grief is intense joy. In a world of duality in which we live, everything has its opposite. And when you relieve grief with joy, you make it bearable to some extent. And you give yourself the ability to go back into the grief and not have it consume you because somehow you're fortified by the joy. I want to talk more about that later on in the podcast, but I really want to start with this concept of suicide and self-destruction. As I spoke about on a prior podcast, friends of mine who live in Austin, a couple who are in their 60s, the husband has a daughter from a prior marriage who was 32 or 33 years old, and about two to three months ago, she committed suicide. And she committed suicide almost to the day, a year after her prior boyfriend, with whom she lived, committed suicide in front of her. He shot himself in front of her. So I want to talk about suicide, and I want to talk about self-destruction. This is a topic that I often feel I have the right to talk about because at age 24, I tried to commit suicide and I came very close to what one could call succeeding if killing yourself is something you can succeed at. And I was in the operating room and I had an out-of-body experience as they were trying to pump me out and get the drugs out of my system, drugs I had overdosed on, antidepressants and tranquilizers that had been prescribed for me at the time by the family physician. As they were pumping me out, I was up in the corner of the room, in the emergency room, watching them work on her as I perceived it and wondering why they wouldn't let her go, why they were doing all that to her body. And then I sort of had the impression of a voice that said, you have to go back. You have work to do. And in that instant, I was no longer up in the corner of the room. I was back in my body looking up at a doctor who was over me saying, Carol, Carol, can you hear me? Can you hear me? It's that experience and the depression that led up to it, years of depression, years of masked depression, about which very few people, if any, had a clue that I was experiencing that lead me to talk about this topic with what I consider to be a level of expertise, because I don't think there's anything like having been in an experience yourself, giving you the ability and the right to speak about it. And also the joy and the life I was able to build after the attempt, after I realized what had happened and I began to grapple with the things that brought me to that moment. And as I often say, people who try to die don't really want to commit suicide. They've just misplaced hope. And I've gone into that in detail in a prior podcast. Right now, I want to talk about the national trend, the frightening elevation of statistics of attempted suicide, of drug overdosing. We're going through a time when an extraordinary amount of people are trying to leave the planet by their own hand. They're trying to die. And it begs the question, what is driving them to do that? Personally, I have always felt that it is the technology in many ways that has brought us to this problem, 
because the technology is demanding of us that we live at a rate of speed that is inconsistent with, as I like to say, the human heart and the human mind. But it's more than that, because I think that the individual statistics on the escalation of attempted suicide and personal destruction through drug abuse and alcohol and other forms of self-destructive behavior are a microcosm of the macrocosm. And the macrocosm is the destruction of the culture. I think that what people are witnessing for us, in a sense, by their confusion and their desperation and their sense of hopelessness, they're trying to, if not witness, then mirror for us what we are doing to the culture generally. The current political climate is one of, I want to say, no boundaries, meaning Things that used to have defined edges, sharp edges, parameters, like sex, male, female, don't exist anymore. We've moved into an entire culture of gray, where thinking about absolutes, and there are some in nature, in biology, in physics, there are some absolutes, even in philosophy and psychology, there are axioms, there are core principles. Aristotle talked about, and Plato, the the chairness of a chair, the essence of something, it exists. Homeopathy is based upon that premise, that you can spin down something to its essence and use it as a countermeasure. There are absolutes, but we are moving away from them at lightning speed. And what happens when you take categories and classifications like male-female and you dissolve them? What you are doing is fomenting the destruction of the culture because cultures are built upon categories. They are built upon beliefs. They are built upon certain absolutes. And when you dissolve those absolutes, you not only sow the seeds of confusion in people who inherently need some form of construct around them, some form of parameter, some form of limitation, if for no other reason than to push against it, to see what you're capable of if you can move beyond it, if you can stretch the boundary. When you take them away, when you say they don't exist anymore, it's kind of like giving a teenager free reign. I think back to when my daughter was in high school. We moved. I had gotten divorced when she was in 11th grade, and so we moved to a new township. And she has switched schools at 11th grade. A very hard thing to do, right? It's at a time when you're questioning your own identity, you're finding yourself, and you've had friends at a given school, and suddenly you're at a new school. And my daughter was an average student in the prior school, but in the new school, she happened to make friends with the advanced placement children, who all were getting A's. And so she rose to the occasion, and she became an A student. But the important part of this story isn't that. It's that when her friends would have something to do and they would gather at my home, at her home and my home, they loved being there. And she used to say to me, I can't stand it that my friends like you. And I would say to her, your friends like you because I'm around when they are. Because when they come to our home, they have boundaries. They know what they can do and they know what they can't do. And for the most part, those kids' parents weren't around. And those kids didn't have anyone who seemingly set limits or created boundaries against which they could push, against which they could 
identify themselves, define themselves, distinguish themselves. Humans need that. It doesn't mean that we aren't capable of moving and expanding beyond boundaries, but it means we need them in place to begin with. The liberal left is destroying boundaries all over the place. And they are redefining things in perverse ways. And they are making people feel who don't get on their bandwagon as if there's something wrong with them. You know, someone said to me the other day, you know, but what about all the people who are buying into all of this? And I said, the people who are buying into all of this are the people with the loudest megaphones. They're the politicians. They're the tech people. They're the wealthy people who are on Wall Street and and own businesses like Amazon. They're the people who have something to lose if they don't kowtow, because what they'll lose are profits. And the politicians want to get reelected. And they think that they need to go out there and say, yes, I absolutely believe men can have babies. Yes, I absolutely believe that six-year-olds should be able to choose their gender and begin to move in the direction of gender-affirming surgery or gender-transforming surgery. You know, it's funny. I don't have all the language because I don't want all the language. I don't want to give it any credibility because there's two ways to approach what's happening to us. One is to jump into the fray and get in its face and try to debate it and give it credibility by doing so. And the other is not to engage it. There are examples in mythology, in religious texts, even in movies. There are examples of why you don't engage the darkness, why you don't engage what some people call evil, and why you don't engage mental illness, which is what saying men can give birth is. It's a mental illness. One that comes to mind is the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford and Karen Allen. If you've you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, there's a scene in the end of the movie when the Nazis who have stolen the Ark of the Covenant, the original Ark that contained the Ten Commandments as given by God to Moses, are confronted with the character played by Harrison Ford, and there is this crescendo moment when the Nazis open the Ark and a blinding light comes out of it. Harrison Ford grabs Miriam, the part played by Karen Allen, and says, Miriam, don't look, don't look, Miriam. And everyone who looks upon it is melted, is destroyed, and only those who don't survive. In the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which had so lost its own boundaries, its own parameters, and had become so sexually perverse and ethically deficient that God refused to save it, that creator destroyed it, as Lot and his wife were fleeing the city that was about to be destroyed, Lot's wife was told, don't look back, don't look back. She did. She turned and looked upon it. And the lesson that we're taught is that she was turned into a pillar of salt. The takeaway is you don't give evil energy. You don't engage the darkness. You don't humor mental illness. There are two ways to deal with what's happening in this country right now. 
One is to engage it and thereby give it credibility, which is what those politicians are doing who are out begging for votes. It's what Hollywood is doing because it's what the arts always do. They're always on the cutting edge of that kind of stuff. It's what the business owners of these mega corporations like Amazon and Facebook and the other social media giants are doing because they want the clicks, they want the followers, they want the revenue, they want the shipped packages if you're Amazon. So if you're an Amazon employee, get your abortion paid for, your transportation paid for, your babysitter paid for, for the child that you have while you go to another state to abort the child you're about to have. It's just nuts, right? It's all nuts. And what's a corporation doing in that whole area of health anyway? or death, as it were, whichever you want to look at it, other than the fact that the corporation wants to be woke. It wants to be out there on the cutting edge. But the cutting edge is a cliff, and they're all headed off of it, because you can't defy nature, you can't defy reason, you can't defy the laws of the universe and prevail. What we're doing is a precursor to the destruction of a culture, which is a precursor to the destruction of a society, which is a precursor to the destruction of the nation. So let me go back to joy and where I started in sharing with you how it was a life preserver of sorts in the middle of profound grief. Joy is also a life preserver in the middle of insanity, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of irrationality. Find joy in your life. Do things that are joyful for yourself and for others. Do not look upon the darkness. Do not look upon the perversion. Do not engage it. Do not give it power. Do not feed it. Deny it its existence by refusing to acknowledge its existence. And what you will find is that when you are the light and you withdraw it from the darkness, the darkness has nothing left but itself and it will feed upon itself, it will destroy itself in the absence of being able to live off of any of the light that you might otherwise bring to it. As Miriam was told in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, as Lot's wife was told, don't look back, look ahead. And I would add, look ahead with joy in your heart. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on, wow, tomorrow, Monday. Until then, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.